Hello and welcome to Healing from Within. I am your host, Cheryl Glick, author of Life is No Coincidence and The Living Spirit, Answers for Healing and Infinite Love, which share stories of spiritual awakening, spiritual communication, healing energies, miracles and ways to find and use intuition for improving decision-making and living with greater health, prosperity, and joy. And today I welcome Robert Sharp, author of his newest book, The Heart and Soul of Caring, which highlights 11 unique true stories of the challenges and joys of being a caretaker for a loved one. Hello, Robert, and thank you for joining us today on Healing from Within. Well, thank you for having me, Cheryl. I, I greatly appreciate the opportunity to talk with you. Great. Robert, as listeners have come to expect through the years, my guests and I share intimate and insightful looks at the connection between the physical and metaphysical elements of life as we know it. And as it actually continues to unfold, we often find universal laws of energy uh, that when understood and practiced can help us reach our full potential as human soul beings and help us excel at living with compassion and love for all life. In today's episode of Healing from Within, Robert Sharp, the founder of, I think I'm pronouncing it right, BiteRadio.me? That's correct. Okay. And producer of Bringing Inspiration to Earth, radio show and author of Joy Potential, which is designed to enlighten and entertain listeners in self-help, spirituality, children's corner, and environmental awareness, uh, will help listeners find answers to difficult questions in caring for relatives or friends at the end of life, and often, even when communication is not possible. Robert, I always love to ask my guests because I get the greatest answers and they're always so different <laughs> to think back to their childhood and remember a person, place, or event which may have signaled to them or others around them the work, lifestyle, or values that would be important to them in adult life. Because I think within the child is already the plan and the destiny for what we were born to share and learn and be part of. So think back for yeah. a minute. Well, interesting. That's very interesting. Now, when when I was very young, um, I often thought I wanted to be a judge. <laughs> it was just a very odd, you know, occupational choice for, not, for not, someone. Not really. Not really. I thought I wanted to be an attorney because, you see, we were caring people ah. and we wanted to know truth justice and the right way to do things and to help people so it was a good good idea yeah that was that was great and and then um there was that uh very grounded um idea you know of what might lie ahead and then also i was very much uh a dreamer in the sense when when i would uh I would travel a lot on the astral plane as a young child. I mean, I would have fine dreams. I would have very often have 
such um, kind of out-of-body experiences. So, I mean, in one sense, I was grounded with the idea of, you know, you know, justice and, and, and fairness. Um, but then also there was that element that just kind of wanted to um, explore beyond the body. Well, I take it that you are an evolved soul and uh, what would be called an indigo child. I was the same way. And many of the authors that I've interviewed over the last 10 years have this way about them. Uh, they come in and they really want to serve and they want, really want to make the world a better place. And sometimes they're confused by the behaviors they see as children. So, so indigo children are that way, very intuitive, very gifted spiritually. So that's what it sounds like to me. <laughs> All right. It was, it was, and like you say, you know, very misunderstood, you know, um, so, you know, it's just one of those, um, you know, examples of, you know, kind of being in an existence that doesn't make sense, but, um, but we grow up and make sense of it and yes. try and help others make sense of it as well. Well, we need that. I guess we need that so we can grow into the person we were born to be and do what we were born to do. So what was the inspiration for your newest book, The Heart and Soul of Caring? Well, it's interesting. We're speaking of dreams. Um, this particular, the seed for this um, book uh, came to me in a waking dream. And it was one of those that, you know, the minute I woke up, I had this sense that I needed to do this book, um, caregiving book. And, and, you know, I've been in, you know, caregiving roles before, but it, you know, it wasn't anything that was um, in the forefront of my mind or, you know, there was nothing that really um, stood out as why that should have been a, a dream. But, um, but it did, you know, and I woke up. And then when I thought, was thinking about it, it was to do a book um, that, uh, while sharing stories of caregivers, um, to be sure to give um, homage and tribute to the care receiver. You know that uh, many of the caregiving books I had read, um, as you know, being a radio host like yourself, you know, a lot of the caregiving books focus on the caregiver, which is important. Um, but many times um, we lose sight of the individual receiving the care. So my my idea was in this particular book, you know, to start each story with the caregiver talking about the essence of the individual, you know, who they are or were, um, and, you know, kind of, uh, you know, give support, you know, into that. Because without the receiver, there is really no need for a caregiving situation. So yes, um, yes. to start with yeah. that, yeah, to start with that and then go into after that, you know, their experiences, um, joys and challenges and, and being in that role. Well, you know, uh, as a hospice care volunteer for eight years, uh, I understand what you were trying to share because it's very hard to watch someone you love go through that transition. Now, as a medium, I know uh, there is life beyond this temporary physical life, and the energy of the soul transcends and uh, lives in another reality of energy life but still in all it's hard to watch the changes and uh, in people we love 
And it's hard to be a caretaker because you're doing so much that very often you forget to take care of yourself. And then my sister passed a few years ago, and she was a caretaker for most of her life for her husband. And all of a sudden, you have a story in the book about someone like this who then developed pancreatic cancer and within a few months was gone, even before the husband she cared for. So that story rang very true to me and very real, and all the stories in your book read the same way for me who has had the experience of dealing with this challenge. But yet so much love and compassion and goodness comes out of this sharing experience when a person needs your help and often is not able to ask for it, but you help them to learn to accept your love and caring and they become more comfortable on that side of the equation for this. So you had a story from uh, Louis J. Cattoli and 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 Corinne, Corinne? Mm -hmm. yeah, his daughter. And I'd, I'd like to read what you wrote because it shows a great deal of what we're talking about here. And you wrote... There can be a positive way to approach the decline of a person's health or changes in life in general. So to watch my mom go through what she did and to experience what my dad did subject to his affliction, you've got to know and believe a few things in order not to crumble. I can admonish myself and say, this is life, not always a piece of cake. Or I can tell myself and take into my heart that his remaining days, the days where he still knows who I am and can still sing along to old rock and roll songs, are good enough for the moment. They are a treasure, and the biggest treasure is yet to come. He will live again and be as clear as a spring day, and all the confusion and sorrow will be a little cloud that has meandered away in the sky." In the caretaking of my father, I was taught patience, gratitude, and the absolute meaning of unconditional love. My father, unknowingly, was teaching me a huge lesson about what truly matters in our existence on earth. He had taught me in my life about enduring faith, and it truly was applied in these very difficult moments. So I think that you wrote that so beautifully... And it expressed what well, yeah. I learned in hospice. Yeah, you know, that, that one, uh, Corrine, her, her father was very much a, a rock and roller. And, and Corrine is, a, is one like us who recognizes, you know, what spirit is all about. And, you know, and, and for her, um, it was just real important for her to be present, you know, with her father as he was, um, or, you know, while in, in that caretaking kind of capacity, but but also to um, kind of rise above the situation in, in the sense of, of knowing that, you know, um, even though she had some very challenging times with him, um, it was, uh, it was an, for her, it was an honor to be able to have that opportunity, you know, to, to help guide him through that. You, you know, uh, one time uh, I had a young girl come for a Reiki session, and her grandmother had Alzheimer's. I, I think perhaps uh, this father also had dementia or something like that. 
And when I was doing the energy healing, I heard a song, and I said to the young girl, I said, do you know this song? And she started to cry, and she said that her grandmother, who had Alzheimer's, who was still alive but didn't recognize anyone in the family, used to sing that to her when she was younger. So I said to her, so you see, within your grandmother's essence and her soul, she's exactly everything she's always been and will always be, even though her brain in this physical life is not working anymore the way it used to. And and I, I like that. I like to tell that story where appropriate because people, when they're looking at a loved one in a diminished capacity might forget that and within them yeah. they're exact and they know what's going on and and they love and they're appreciative of the care that they're receiving but let's go on to the heart and soul of caring contains only 11 stories it's not a large book but an important book why did you feel it was necessary to publish this book now well, the base, one of the main reasons is because I had, there was a passing of several people in the book from the time I started writing to the, writing the book until I published. And, and I, I really felt that it was important that I had enough variety of stories and, um, and things that uh, the reader could learn from uh, to, to be um, helpful. And so I, I wanted to get it out there, um, you know, before any and the, the other participants passed on. Um, but you know, I mean, it was it was just one of those cases where you know it's the quality, not the quantity, for me that that really made the difference. Right. You know, in life we do, as you say, have many roles: parent, child, brother, sister, friend, coworker, boss, mentor, <laughs> even sometimes most mm -hmm. most of the times. We will be a caretaker at some point in our life, and it carries many responsibilities and challenges, yet it also demonstrates our humanity, and it has benefits and rewards. We'll talk about that a little bit more in a while, but was there anything personally you learned from the stories submitted that should be uh, done to help in the process of caring for terminally ill people? Yeah, well, the the one story that hits me the most personal was the first story, and it was written by my sister, who was uh, a caregiver for my mother in, in her final days. And um, during that process, um, I hadn't found out until I received my sister's story that I found out that she had diligently tried to help my mother with um, some of the end-of-life challenges. My mother was a very fearful woman, and so, mm. you know, the idea of, of death and uh, going to hell for her mistakes um, kind of weighed heavy on her, and she just, she was just scared to death. I mean, you know, almost literally. To, to, and so, so my sister had to work through that. Now, my sister was is a nurse, so she was plenty uh, capable of handling the physical challenges or aspects of, of caregiving. But for her, it was that, that emotional and spiritual aspect that proved to be a little bit harder. And, and um, my mother and I were estranged for like, 
almost 15 or 20 years before her death and, and didn't reconcile um, before her passing. And, and my sisters tried very hard to have that happen. And, and I didn't know that my sister had put forth that effort. I mean, you know, there, through the years, there were efforts to try to, to bridge the, um, the divide, but um, there weren't, ha- I mean, she, my mother was just a very stubborn woman. And, um, oh, I, so, I anyway. understand that very well. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, but, so, but it wasn't until I got the, st- the story from my sister that I realized exactly how much of an effort my sister put into it. And that's what made me realize, you know, as one of the important aspects um, to the book and to the stories, you know, is that um, end-of-life um, efforts, you know, to, you know, to help the person. Like you mentioned, you know, you understood, you understand what happens um, with spirit. Um, yes. But for someone who doesn't have the same beliefs, you know, to try and, um, yeah. comfort and guide when we they wanna, don't have that. Yeah, we want to try to forgive and be forgiven, to love and be loved. And the end of life yeah. often offers, offers us opportunities to do just that. Now, I don't know if this was your story, Robert, but did you have a, a personal experience with your father and you needed a do not resuscitate order? Was that you? Was one yes. of the, That was you. Okay, because yeah. I... I have a, a coincidence with you. So tell us about that do not resuscitate, and then I'll tell you what I had with the do not resuscitate. We have a coincidence okay. here. Okay, well, very interesting. Okay, well, my father, who is the same name as me, um, when I was growing up, wasn't around. So later in life, we reconnected and, and you know, really kind of built up our relationship, you know, toward uh, his the last half of his life. And... Um, when it came time, um, and, and he was he was pretty metaphysical in his his understanding, which uh, you know surprised me. But I, I you know thought, well, that must be where I got that in the genes. Yes. But, uh, but he you know he was he you know he understood you know that when it came time for you know the end of life that he just he wanted that do not resuscitate you know he he just he did not like the idea of uh being hooked up to machines did not like the idea of being incapacitated you know that he'd much rather move on you know which he felt was you know so anyway um and he gave me uh his current wife at the time and the doctor each do not resuscitate order so we each had one um then when it came time to actually invoke that um, in the hospital, none of us could find our copy. I know that's <laughs> that's how it goes. <laughs> and it was like, oh my god! So, um, so anyway, you know, I tried to. He was not really communicative, you know, verbally, but you know, I, we could do the blink your eyes to yes and no kind of thing. So. Um, you know, I kind of did, you know, remember you have that do not resuscitate. Yes. No, Mm. you you really did not want to continue. Correct? Yes. Um, Do you still want that? Then there was nothing. It's like, oh, no, don't go tell me you're changing your mind now. (laughs) You know, so, I mean, it was just really difficult. And, and, you know, that for me it was, you know, the, the idea of that particular story is the one of Maya, whose husband had a sudden stroke, you know, and, and she had to make some decisions without having talked with him before about, you know, such a con- condition. You know, it's it's at that point well, when yeah, you know, most we of really us, hope that we had the conversation. 
most of us have a conversation with our family about this. Now, I had the same thing. Um, when my mother was in the hospital, uh, they asked me to sign a do not resuscitate for her. But I knew that she had asked for that, and... Uh, she didn't want any extraordinary means or procedures if she couldn't recover and have a good quality of life. But I was sad, and I, I had a sense of guilt about signing it by myself. My two sisters weren't there. <clears throat> so she passed it home under hospice care six weeks later. And months later, I was at a spiritual conference in Barbados, and a psychic development conference, and one of the mediums told me that my mother was telling me that she was aware I was disturbed by signing that form and that it was the right thing to do, and she wanted it done. She wanted mm. it that way. So I was immediately able to release that guilty feeling and be happy that my mom was okay, free of the suffering, and it was also proof for me at that time, that's about 20 years ago, that mediums or intuitive mm. healers are able to pick up information from deceased loved ones that are accurate and healing. Because for me, it took a heavy load off. And I have been yeah. able to develop my own gifts of clairvoyance and mediumship and do readings and healing sessions. And they come with love to help us know that we don't have to be sorry for the decisions made at the time of transition. Usually they're the right yeah. ones. So let's go on. What were some common threads you discovered um, from all the stories submitted? Well, uh, a couple of the threads that were, first of all, was that the actual caregiving um, task itself was challenging, and um, both you know physically, emotionally, and spiritually for the caregiver. Um, yet also, there, mostly in hindsight, um, there was always a gift to be received by going through that. And so, I mean, and you know, each one was different. You know, what each person received was different, but but I believe that what they received was uh, the, the strengthening of their spirit, what their spirit kind of longed for and, and being strengthened. Um, a couple of the people, uh, like I mentioned with my mother, but there was also um, another uh, gentleman, uh, Chelsea, who re really had that fear of death, you know, that um, mm -hmm. um, the dogma of going to hell and, and being judged poorly for life's decisions, you know, and um, so that that was one that was um, particularly um, eye-opening. And, and then the last one I would say would be that the importance of caring for the caregiver, you know, being able to take care of yourself and not put oneself on the back burner while being a caregiver, that it's, it is yes. so important. To you know, you, you, you said it this way. Um, you related the caregiver to a hero. So a hero and a caretaker, they like wear bulletproof armor and must react to conditions spontaneously. That's part of the role they play. And they must remain healthy, take care of themselves, and uh, not lose hope, which can be often lost 
uh, because you're fighting passionately to serve and protect and support those who care for others, but do it because you want to. This is very important and not because you have to. If so, what suggestions might you make for someone embarking on this journey to help them along the way? Well, if they're in the beginning stages, like you said, one of the the main things is to recognize that, you know, you don't have to do it alone, you know, and to um, build up a, a network of support that you can draw from, you know, as you're, you know, going down that journey. Um, also to um, make sure that, you know, that you don't put your life completely on hold, you know, in service of your loved one. You know, the, uh, it's important to block out time for yourself to um, get away. Uh, to yes, to enjoy your life. life. And you have to still find the joy in life. So I, I want to thank you, Robert Sharp, for sharing insights into an event which most of us will have to face, a challenge that can bring meaning and greater love beyond the pain or sorrow that may be experienced. To learn more about how to grow and benefit during and after such an experience, go to BiteRadio.me. In summarizing today's episode of Healing from Within, it has become apparent once again that what we see as good or bad, doable or impossible, right or wrong, is neither one or the other, but always an opportunity to experience the best within ourselves and our magnanimous capacity for the heart to open and expand through the most dire of times. What you may discover from reading this book or being a caretaker yourself is that strength of character and resiliency lies within each of us, and there is a sense of purpose by giving back to those who were once providers and now need to be provided for, loved, and to carry the connection of being helped at the end of their physical days into the next phase of eternal life that transcends time and space. Nothing of value comes easily or without great effort on our part. But in the end, as in the beginning, there is always a way to learn more about ourselves and those we love, even as we learn to let go and allow life to flow in its infinite direction forward to greater wisdom and acceptance. Robert and I would have you see the value in all stages of life. Relinquish fear and know yourselves to never be alone, but always aided by an infinite soul energy that always responds when simply asked to help. Conquer fear, and perhaps we conquer death. I am your host, Cheryl Glick, and invite you to visit my website, CherylGlick.com, to read about and listen to authors and leaders in the metaphysical, medical, scientific, religious, spiritual, and the arts and music share their journeys of learning how to work with the physical and energetic aspects of life for health, prosperity, and improving self and the collective consciousness. Shows may also be heard on webtalkradio.net and dreamvision7radio.com. Thank you. <laughs>